If you do have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word for this morning, and we praise you that we have it. We ask for grace upon grace. Have mercy. Speak through your word, because unless you speak, unless you, you by your spirit awaken our hearts to it, unless you convict us, we just don't respond. We have a very hard time hearing, Father. I ask that you be merciful and gracious and allow us to hear and bless us because we ask this in Christ, your beloved Son. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about building up one another and encouraging one another and spurring one another on and how it is we do that. And one of the things that, that bothers me about this particular message is that I myself so often fail to do the very things that I'm called to preach about. That's the hard thing about being a preacher. It's like, you, oh great, you get beat up all week, and you look at the text, and you realize that you've got to declare what it says. And so you realize that you in that, own, that very week have been a person who has not even done the very things you're proclaiming. And it reveals that to me constantly my need of grace, and also for you to view me and understand me rightly. I'm one of you. I'm with you in the struggle. I'm with you in the battle. I'm with you in all of this. It's not like, oh, well, somehow pastors get a, get a buy or a pass, or this, that preacher up there, he's, you know, it must be so much easier for him. It's not. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to use foolish means use foolish things to, to declare his truth. And so this morning, this is much a correction and rebuke to me and in, and in a sense a, a spurring on for me to, to love you as I'm called to, as it is for you guys. It's just not me up here telling you because I've got it nailed. And I think it's important sometimes, every now and then, to remind us all of that because it can sure seem that way. I, I, I know from my own experience when I've been around uh, preachers and pastors and such, that it begins to think that my life is somehow completely different than theirs. But that's just a lie. It's not true. You know, there was, some of you may or may not be familiar with her, but there's a lady called Mary Kay, Mary Kay Cosmetics. You know, she's, most people here, I'm sure, have heard of Mary Kay. At least you've seen a car, a pink car, isn't it? The pink car, driving by, Mary Kay on it. Well, she used to say that every person she looked at had this invisible sign that hung around their neck saying, make me feel important. And she taught people that, to imagine every single person I encounter, they have an invisible sign hanging there. And it says, make me feel important. And so she made it her goal to make people feel important. And as she did, she, came, she became this unstoppable sales force. But it should not surprise anyone. Because what Mary Kay did is she invested in people's lives. And she made people feel important. And she was making an investment and a payment in them. And so in return, they were glad to make an investment in Mary Kay. Even though it was financial. She make an emotional investment, they make a financial investment back to her. Now, 
it's easy to th- think, well, that's just manipulation, being manipulative. It is, there's a sense in it, it being very clever. Understanding how it is we work. Having a very clear picture of what people are like. All of us here this morning have deep needs. And one of them is to, make, to, to feel like we are important. If you don't feel like you're significant or you matter or you're important in any way, you start to have thoughts of leaving the planet. Because all of us in some way want to have a sense or feel important or somehow have, have a sense of purpose or that we belong, right? And in some way, all of us want to be accepted. We want to be appreciated. We want to be secure. These are, these are basic to the human heart. Every single one of us here. Man, wouldn't it be nice to be so others-oriented that we love them in such a way that they, they do feel loved and accepted and appreciated and ex- secure and important around us. But we have a problem, a major problem. We're so darn selfish. Not only that, and because of that, we get caught up in things. We get caught up in our work. We get caught up in getting the project finished. We get caught up in pursuing the, prom- the promotion at work. We get so caught up that we neglect our families. Or we get so focused on getting the laundry done or the paperwork filed or that p- project completed that we yell at the kids because they always seem to be in our way. They always seem to be interrupting the goal. What it is we're after? Those darn kids. It's like, Ah, oh, isn't that frustrating to have people get in the way of our projects? And as far as loving one another and building one another up, most of us have a difficulty with this because we're so busy focused on ourselves, on what it is we're doing, what it is we're trying to get accomplished. And when it comes to this particular aspect that we're going to look at here, one of the things that's really interesting is how even as I was studying, it's, it's really hard to build one another up, it's really hard to encourage and spur one another on to love and good deeds when we don't really see each other throughout the week. We just see each other at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, better way of putting it. And so it's very hard actually to, and difficult to apply these one another's. One another's assume that these one another's are actually have some existence together. And so, you know, often we hear these things and we go away from here and we don't necessarily apply them because we don't one another much. But one place we do one another a lot is usually in our homes. There's a lot of application that, that can be fleshed out in our homes, that's for sure. But yet at the same time, who were these exhortations given to? Who was... Who is Romans written to? The Romans. Who is Ephesians written to? The Ephesians. The Roman Ephesian churches. These were written to the churches because they, they are dwelling together, living amongst one another, and they were to do these one another's. And one of the things that they were to do with one another, and again, this, these applications, of course they're to do with one another here, but I mean our neighbors and the one another's, we're probably going to apply this to the most to is, is our families. Because that's the one another that we do more often than not. 
And in fact, you know what? You can be nice to people and they can see your nice side when you only want another every now and then. And you show up and give us the nice side. But every person in this room has a dark side. Every person in this room can get ugly. Every person in this room, they've got buttons, and your family members have seen the ugly side. And so you can understand, like, if, you, if you're always just in a setting where nobody steps on anybody's toes, it's, and, and, and you're called to, to one another in that environment, it seems pretty easy. But then you try to one another in an environment where it's a little more close, it's a little more tense, where you really do a lot of one anothering. And that's a little different. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. The building up of one another. We're called to build others up. Build each other up. Along the same lines, Ephesians 4, which you should be turned to in your Bibles, Ephesians 4, verse 29 says that we are to not let any corrupting word proceed out of our mouths, but only what is beneficial for the building up of others. In this Ephesians passage, the idea often comes through the English translation that this, when you hear the word corrupting, and if you have a different translation, it's probably saying something along the lines that makes you think of like potty talk or coarse jesting or something like that. The whole idea is, it's a difficult word to translate, actually. So that when you read it, often it says, it gives us idea of like, do not let perverted talk or corrupt talk or or this uh, potty mouth stuff come out of your mouth, but instead build others up. Well, that's, that's not really the intention, and you can tell, tell by the actual context in which Paul is saying he, he's creating a juxtaposition here. Do not do this, but rather do this. And the two have something to do with one another. When he's telling you to do not do this, do not let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, it's contrasted to building up others. Now, don't get me wrong, potty talk is inappropriate, and actually coarse jesting in that he goes on to talk about in chapter 5. But the word here, the Greek word here is sapros. And it means that that which causes rot or weakens a structure or is bad and is no good. So, for example, if you're building a structure and someone came along and started using materials that were rotten and were rotted out and were no good, that person is starting to construct and build in that thing in a way that it's not going to last. It's going to fall down. It's, it's, it's bad stuff. In that particular case, you would use the word sapros. And in this particular sentence, it's being used as the opposite of building others up. So the idea Paul is, is communicating here is that you don't speak to one another in such a way that it is unprofitable or worthless or destructive but rather in such a way that builds one another up. Don't use words that are going to destroy. Don't use words, don't, don't slander, don't gossip, don't criticize, don't use sarcasm, or any of those words which tear down and corrupt the building up of the person. But rather, use words that build up, words that encourage, words that help, words that strengthen, words that teach, words that instruct, words that bless. That's the words that build up. And probably the biggest place we violate this, as I mentioned in the beginning, is in our homes. Because we so often put projects ahead of people. So if we want to get something done and the kids are in our way, 
we quickly throw them under the bus and run over them. Because, after all, they're in our way. They become a problem. So, and when they become a problem and they're in our way, we usually, we can, maybe we're screamers or we're yellers, or we can get to that point anyways. We start screaming and we're yelling, not because, not because we don't love them, but because we so desperately want them to stop acting in ways that are harmful and start acting in ways that are helpful. But you know what? This deceives us because our yelling, our screaming, our, our getting after the kids, it's often cloaked. It's cloaked in righteousness. And because it has a, we think that it has a proper motive, the motive from my heart, I love my children, I do not want them to do what is wrong. But so the motive deceives us, and we think that we're doing great because our motive is right. But our actions betray us. Because what we're doing is all wrong. We are sinning. And not in our motive, however, but in our actions. Our actions deny our motives. So oddly enough, we, we usually save our choice, choice words, words that are useless, corrupting for the ones closest to us. The ones we're supposed to love the most in this world. The ones who are closest to us. Yet, if you think of the destructive words that have come out of your mouth, if any came out this week, I would put bets down that it's going to be the people who are closest to you that you are the harshest with. The people that are right, right near you, right in your face, right there constantly, that you're called to love. The people that you indeed, in this world, if you're to say that you loved any the most, it would be them. Yet they're the ones that you use the corrupting talk on. And the sad part is we don't really think in terms of building them up. We think, so, we think in terms of getting things done. We think in terms of projects. We think in terms of accomplishment. We think in terms of, of getting through the day, and, and it's all task-oriented. And how often, I mean, who's, are we not guilty of the fact that we do not positively build them up? How much have we built them up with our words in the day? Well, maybe we have a little bit. But maybe we're those people who don't have a lot Maybe we don't, we, we sit here and you're sitting, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, I don't, I don't, I don't usually yell, scream, I don't, a lot of youthless words don't come out of my mouth, but neither do any good words. You're that person, you know, we could be, that pe- we the, be the people who don't say much of anything. And in this case, how rare it is to ever be building anyone up. Well, sure, you don't tear anyone down, it's because you never say anything. But certainly, you don't build anyone up. This too is a selfish problem. Because our minds are so occupied with whatever goes on in there, whatever it is fill in that space, we get so occupied with it that the thought of saying something to others to build them up doesn't even occur to us. So we go about life never beating anyone up with our words. And so we feel good about ourselves. No corrupting talk comes out of my mouth. Yeah, not much of anything comes out of your mouth. And because we never build anybody up, we're still just as guilty of failing to apply 
the command to build one another up. Because you know what? Here's the, th- here's the crazy thing about it. Building others up, you know what it requires? And here's the toughest part. Actually thinking about them. I have nothing against them. I like them. It's just that it's, it's hard to think about people when you have so much going on in your own life. How do you think about anybody else when you have no time in the day to think about the stuff that you have to think about for yourself in a day? And herein lies probably the biggest problem we all have, is that it's just, it always comes down to this, this selfish mindset, as if we can't go and get the stuff done and think about other people at the same time. We create this, this sense of this dichotomy in our world. That it just couldn't happen. You can't think of others and be mindful of others and have them on your mind and then do what you need to do. Well, you can, but let's just be honest. You don't. That's really what it is. That's who we are as people. We're, we're fundamentally, we're fixated on ourselves. And it always seems to be the issue. Always seems to be the problem. And you know, how many of you have ever went to the mall and done some people watching? And usually what you go to the mall to do, do people watching is you look for weirdos, strange people. Ooh, look at that. Ooh, look at that. And, they, you know, we're, we're strange people. That can be fun. <laughs> watching people, watching all the... Od- and really what you're looking for are the oddities. Can you imagine being a people watcher? Let's watch people. And what I want to do, I was going to sit there and I'm going to pick out every great quality in them. That would be a fascinating exercise. And you think, oh, man, my head hurts. This is difficult. It's like working out. Thinking about all the good qualities... It's like, but this is so hard. I can't find any. Well, a lot of times it's because you never noticed it before. You just never, you don't exercise your mind toward it. It's not the bent of your mind. It's not the bent of your heart. The bent of your mind and your heart is toward yourself. When you think of others, it's easy to criticize. Just take this pulpit, for example. Let me point something out. If you look at this right now, I'm calling your attention to it. Perhaps you've never thought about this ever in your life, and it's been up here every Sunday that you've been sitting here. And if I was to ask you, and I was to say to you, now, what are some good qualities about this pulpit? At first you might go, oh, jeez, I don't know. Good qualities? I guess if you force me, I don't know. Uh, I like the pillar in the front. I like the, the symmetry. I like the color. I like how... It's height, or I, li- I like how clean it is, or, or whatever it is. Just the fact that I right now took the time to call your attention to it, you've thought more about this than you probably ever thought of before, and yet it's right in front of you all the time. And do you realize that exercise, that pattern of looking for good qualities, is the only way that you're able to build it up. It's the only way that you're able to do what he's calling us to do. And so this requires us in Ephesians, if we're to build one another up and use words that build one another up, it requires something that we are not used to. And that's actually taking the time to observe. Taking the time to look and to get this brain in action and think. Because I'll tell you what, unless that happens... 
You're going to sit here today. You're going to hear, yeah, we're, that's what the Bible says. It clearly says we have no corrupting words come out of our mouth, but instead we're to use our words for the building up of others. This is everything we speak about others. We're to seek and think of ways to build them up. And the primary problem, again, is that our thoughts are fixed on ourselves and not of others. Because you could hear this exhortation all day long, and all you're going to do is flog yourself all day long. Like, oh, man, whoever does that? That's this impossible. You're right, it is. And this is why you need the grace of God and the Spirit in your life. And why you need to hear this, and if the Spirit convicts you of this, let it penetrate your hearts, and then we need to cry out to the Lord to grant us grace so that we would have eyes to see, that we would truly love others, so that we could see them for who, who, who they are, and, and then and the God would give us eyes to see so that we might know how to build them up and set our minds on their good, set our minds on their being built up. That's a tough thing. And related to this is the encouraging of one another. Because one of the ways that we build others up is by encouraging them. The scriptures also exhort us to do that. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. And listen to this part. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're being exhorted to encourage one another every single day so that we won't become hardened by sin, which is so deceitful. Because if we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, it could take so much to bring us back to life again that you could barely live through it. It's not a good place. The author of Hebrews knows you do not want to become caught up and ensnared by the deceitfulness of sin because of how, how it hardens you and how it, cold, it makes your heart so cold. It deceives you into thinking you're all right and you're really not all right at all. None of us want to get there. I've known several people over the years who started doing well in the faith. They were zealous. They were eager to please God. They loved people. They were into his word. They were, they were making good progress. But somehow along the road, little by little, sin began to creep in. Zeal began to get quenched. Their Bible reading trailed off. Their fellowship became non-existent. And their time in the word, well, doesn't happen. Almost without noticing, they were able to talk about the Christian life, but it was a distant memory, and they almost had zero spiritual life. Now, if God doesn't seriously get a hold of them, they're in serious trouble. And in, in some cases, I've seen their, 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 their faith become completely shipwrecked, done. So the warning is real. It's very real. I don't know if even in your own life, have you experienced the deceitfulness of sin? Have you, have you experienced the coldness and the, sense your, the weakness of your faith and the, the issues and trials of life and how your thinking gets a little skewed and goofy? And if you think of that, 
You think of what it's like to, get, to, to feel like you're drifting off on the edges. It's terrifying. It's scary, especially if you've been there and God has rescued you and brought you back. You know what? In every single case where this happens, you know what we need? We need some good friends who will encourage us. The reason why this happens, the reason why, he, look at the text, how he says, encourage one another as, as long as it's called today. Day to day, encourage one another. Why should we encourage one another? Because the author understands and knows the world we live in and that we're supposed to be guarded against the deceitfulness of sin because we know that if we're not encouraged each day with each, by each other, we're going to be sucked away by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to be encouraged. Do you realize that you cannot stand on your own? You cannot stand here this morning. How many of you have ever seen those little suckling trees that have got the tethers on them, the four tethers? And they're staked in the ground, and they've got a tether in each direction. And no matter how the storms blow, the little tree remains standing. It's there for good. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do well. In the same way, you show me a man who's got four friend, good friends around him or a woman who's got four good friends around her, and I'll tell you, no matter how bad the storms of life are, that person will remain standing because that's how it's designed. God, we're weak creatures, And I don't care who you are, how tough you think you are, how big you think you are. You're weak. Our weakness is is overwhelming at times. And I desperately need a comrade to my right, a comrade to my left, a comrade to the front of me, and a comrade to the back of me. And I'll tell you what, if they're good comrades, I can withstand the storms of life. I can hang in there. I can make it because I need their courage. I need their strength. I need their help. And you know what's so often going to happen? They're going to need my courage, my strength, my help. We need to encourage one another. And by encouraging one another, we are strengthening one another. We're gaining courage and we're able to walk through the fight and do incredibly well. I don't know a single person on this earth who doesn't have good friends around them, who isn't incredibly well Spiritually, especially in the Christian circle, you have godly people around them. They are doing well. Not, they're not doing well because they're just such great independent people. They're doing well because they have great people around them. Like they've always said, if you find a good man, look around. He's probably got a better wife. <laughs> Because in so many cases, that one standing beside you is the one who makes you. We're not, if there's, we have no glory in ourselves. Because if you ever watch a football game, the thing that irritates me the most is when some running back or, or wide receiver gets a touchdown and they just, you know, they do the dancing and they're going crazy. As if somehow, it's like planet me. This had everything to do with me. You had... Ten other guys? Did I get the number right? Yeah, ten other guys who did all the work, who gave their lives, who put it down, who, who did everything they could to give you what you got. And yet you don't turn around and run to those guys and hug them and thank them. You sit there and dance like it's somehow, it was me. Look at me. 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they do it later. But I'll tell you what, it sure communicates a lot, doesn't it? And I think it's, I think it's so often that's exactly what it's like. It's exactly what it's like in life. So often we're in the end zone dancing around, parading around because we think it's all about us. When in reality, in reality, it's, it's the linemen who get no attention, who created all the opportunity for you. It's your friends around you. They're the ones who give us the courage. They're the ones who give us the strength. They're the ones who allow us to keep going. And in the race of life, God has given us, given us each other. That's who he's given you. Sometimes, have you ever been weak? Have you ever been down and you cry, oh God, please help. Oh God, please help. We think that in the Christian life that we just cry out to God and what God does is he, like, he infuses us with the power. Now I'm ready to go. But no, what God does is he's created us to have one another, each other. So if you don't have good comrades to the left and to the right and to the left and in front and behind you, that's God's way of strengthening you. It's the means of grace he provides for you so often. That's why we're to encourage one another day to day, because we need each other. Just like if you've ever ran in a race, and it's been taxing, and you want to quit. I mean, the only reason you don't is people are looking, and you really would like to quit. And you've got family or friends there, and they're cheering you on. Keep going, keep going. And you know that if they weren't cheering you on, and they weren't there, if they weren't watching, you would have quit a long time ago. But because they're cheering you on, because they're there supporting you and encouraging you, and, and, and they're there with you, you keep going. There's no way you're going to quit in front of them. You're going to keep going. And that's because that's the way God has made us. Weak creatures by ourselves, but together we conquer the world. We need each other, and we need to constantly be encouraging one another. But this, you know, this requires initiative. Do not sit ever whining and complaining because you don't have friends or comrades. Stop that. You will never have friends or comrades with that attitude. You get friends and comrades by making friends and comrades, being a friend, taking initiative. The people who get good people around them don't sit there and whine. They sit there and they, don't, they get off their butts and they go towards people and they, they take initiative and they cultivate and build good friendships. The friendly have friends. So don't sit there and whine and complain about God not bringing friends into your life. Please. You will never have friends in your life. Take initiative and make friends. Make good friends and put them around you and be encouraging one another. And I'll tell you what, you have good friends around you, you will handle the storms of life. You will do well. You will be encouraged. Your courage will be emboldened. Not only that, but you have good friends, you have good support in your life. These people, you're building one another up. You're encouraging one another to, to stay strong. We're also exhorted in this particular aspect of things to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was said 
in chapter 10, immediately following the glorious blessings we received through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. He's talking about how amazing it is, how much better the blood of Christ is than the blood of bulls, and how powerful his atoning work is, and how glorious it is, and how much blessing there is in it. And then he, he culminates in this exhortation to consider, in light of this, consider how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. And don't get in any habit of going solo. Did you notice what he said? And not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws in here. So don't get in the habit of pulling back from people. Pull, push forward. Push forward. That's what we need to do. And as we do, we need to think about stirring one another onto loving good deeds. And you want to ask the question about what, what does this look like? How do we spur one another? How do we stir each one up to, to love and good deeds? Well, I think the obvious thing, there's obviously we could look at and talk about how we need to exhort one another, exhort each other to do what we need to do. But I think the central and fundamental thing is that we need to, we need to provide examples and we also need to tell stories. And we also need to take people along with us. It's much better than being exhorted, you need to do good. I need to love others. But you know, because sometimes that, well, most of the time, doesn't it repulse us? It's like, I know, just shut up, so do you. <laughs> yeah, if we sit around, we tell stories of, Maybe if what someone else has done, loving God and loving others, and you know, this is what we ought to do, and, and you hear a story about someone else doing it, or you, they tell a story themselves of something that happened in their life, and we sit there and we reflexively listen, and we actually, a lot of times, can become convicted and realize that's what we need to do. I remember watching this video of these people who pulled up to McDonald's in the drive through window, and they bought their stuff, and then the person also, he said, I'd like to pay for the people's meal behind me and he didn't know who it was or how many it was. He just gave him the credit card and you know this whole that paying it forward thing which is a great idea. And I remember watching it feeling man, I was a little convicted. I think that's a great idea. That's a, that's a neat way to, to love somebody and so here I'm watching. I was spurred on to love and good deeds and, but I've never done it. Good. That's great. And I think that's, I mean, I think it's something that, I, th I think it's something that we should all, you know, the kinds of things that when you hear about it, how it spurs us on to do, do likewise for ourselves. We also spur others on by actually living as an example. And in often ways, this is the most powerful most powerful, because if I was the guy in the car behind me, the person who paid, if I was the recipient and I was the receiving and I was visually seeing and being a part of the actual thing taking place, then I probably would have done it myself by now. But because, because it's so much more of a powerful scenario, it's an example that I'm living in, I'm watching, I'm seeing, I'm partaking in. It's even more powerful than actually observing or hearing a story of someone else doing it. And I think this is why... Peter exhorts the elders in 1 Peter to show yourself as an example, to live as an example to the flock of God among you. 
Because why? It spurs us on to love and good deeds. That's why. This is also why Paul would hold out his life as an example. Paul would say, follow me. Watch what I'm doing. Follow my life as an example. Because his life as an example, we know that we, he, he often saw that when they saw him suffering for the gospel, suffering as he's preaching Christ, he knew that it would embolden everyone. It spurs us on to be bold. It spurs us on to love. So one of the greatest things we could ever do for each other is provide examples for each other. Is actually do loving things. Encourage others. Have others see us encouraging others. Have others see us building others up and be an example and serving others and giving to others and blessing others. And as we do that, we serve as an example for one another and it's one of the greatest ways to spur one another on, to stir it up in other people. And if not, the other thing, a wonderful thing, tell more stories. Did you, you know, we get a lot of stories. Not a lot of people, this is what people do nowadays. If you're on Facebook, a story comes out, it's a video, and then we share the story, right? You share it so others can see it. Oh, that was cute, or that was great, or oh, that was weird, or that was funny, or whatever it is. When we see and hear stories and we share them with one another, it often encourages us. But we need to look for stories and the things that we should be stirring one another up to do, spurring one another on to do, is to love one another and to do good for each other and to do good for people. And as we do that, as we stir and spur one another on to do this, to love and good deeds, we'll find that that, it just becomes magnified. And we, st- we now are encouraged ourselves by the fact that someone else does it. We want to do it, and we do it. We encourage them. We actually end up encouraging each other. And next thing you know, you just see people, we do it more and more and more and more, and it kind of grows. And that's the whole idea. But you know what? All of this is predicated upon this one thing. That we actually repent in a fundamental area. And that is in our thinking. Thinking less of ourselves and more of others. Having others actually be on our minds. Something we know we have to repent of. It's like, I would do it. I would. I know I would. I swear I would. I would like to do that. It just doesn't ever cross my mind. Which is a fundamental problem. But what does cross our mind all the time is our own agendas, our own projects, our own concerns, our own desires, our own plans, our own dreams, our own little worlds. It's hard to break out of that world. And may God convict us May God burden us to love others. And may you this morning cry out to the Lord and say, Oh Lord God, give me your heart for people. Give me eyes to see them and a heart that loves them so that I would reach out to them and encourage them and build them up and find ways to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And we, may this be my passion because the number one goal, your number one goal, my number one goal in life is to love God and love other people. That's, that's, the, that's the agenda for today. It's to love. That's what we're called to fundamentally. And it's to be expressed through the the callings that we have. So may we leave here today encouraging one another, building one another up, and spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And hopefully may God 
truly convict us. May you cry out to him and pray to him and ask him to give you the heart that loves and looks to people and desires to do this for them. Amen. Father, we're thankful and we're grateful and we praise you that we have your word to correct us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to instruct us and admonish us. We praise you that you are so kind and faithful and merciful to us. We thank you for how you've loved us and given yourself for us. Oh Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts, cultivate in our hearts a true and a deep desire and love for one another, that we would set our minds on one another. We would set our minds on how it is we could love, how it is we could encourage and build one another up and spur one another on. Oh Lord, please, work in our hearts. Work in our hearts so that we would become this people that reflect your love. For we ask it in Christ. Amen.